Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. you here this morning. Um, my name is Derek Hebert. My wife and family and I have been partners here at Rev for a few months now. We moved here <clears throat> to Boise this last summer, one summer ago, from Tacoma, Washington, the Seattle area. My wife grew up here, so we uh, decided to make a move, sell our house, and uh, apparently join this whole West Coast migration to Boise, driving up home values. Sorry, guys. Um, but uh, we weren't trying to escape anything. My wife actually grew up here, so we moved here to be closer to her family. And uh, somehow, God had it that we would just do it during a global pandemic. So, you know, go figure. Um, but, um, but my wife and I, Colleen and I, have been married for 18 years, coming up on 19 uh, this summer. We have three teenage daughters. And uh, so it's a, it's a pleasure, it's a joy, it's an adventure in parenting. I need a lot of prayer. If you could, remember me, uh, pray for me as a dad. And um, <clears throat> so it's a joy to be here, an honor to uh, serve you this morning through uh, the ministry of the word. I hear that the Angeluses are doing well uh, right now, and um, so uh, thankful for their rest and their recreation that they have. Um, what I'd like to do today is uh, talk about Jesus's authority. We see that come up a little bit in the passage that was just read that I'm going to be preaching from. Um, I want to talk about his authority today because oftentimes what you see in John with these dialogues and these monologues that Jesus has and these arguments that he's having with the Jews and the religious leaders is not just a question of his identity as the Messiah and as the Son of God, but also his authority, right? Like, what gives Jesus the right to claim the things that he's claiming, to say the things that he's saying, and to teach them? Because authority was a big deal back in first century uh, Judaism. And uh, they had a lot of authorities that they would uh, subscribe to. Um, and so we're going to talk about authority today. But I feel like first we need to um, understand authority just a little bit and how it's dealt with in our culture. And so what better way to do that than with a survey? right? So we're going to do a little survey here. Um, and what I'd like to do is I'm going to give three statements that I need you to just raise your hand or not if you agree with the statement, okay? So, and we're just thinking broad, <laughs> just general here, okay? There's plenty of nuances and factors and things that I think we could probably dissect and deconstruct and all of that when it comes to some of these statements, but just think generally speaking, okay? So by a show of hands, if you agree with the statement, raise your hand. Um, if you don't, then just don't raise your hand, okay? So here's the first statement. It is good to have respect for authority. Okay, yeah, you know, all the teenagers are like, yeah. Um, okay, so it's good to have respect for authority, all right? Pretty much have consensus on that. It's generally something that's good. Second statement. If someone rebels against authority, they should be corrected. And probably some consequences. 
okay? Remember, we're thinking general here. We're, we're thinking general, not thinking like, well, who's the authority and in what situation and all that. Just generally speaking, okay? If someone rebels against authority, seems like the majority, okay? All right, good. Last statement. All authority figures can be trusted. <laughs> I was going to see if there was any authority figures in the room today. Yes! <laughs> yes, I can be trusted. Um, you guys are all rebels, by the way. Just, uh, just want to let you know for not raising your hand. No, just kidding. See, here's the thing. I think that we like authority in our culture generally. Um, <clears throat> we like the idea of it, especially as Christians, and especially for many of us who grew up with authority structures, authority figures. Um, we like the concept of it, but I think sometimes when we're asked to put and place our trust in authority, it seems where it gets a little tricky, right? So, yeah, we can respect authority. Maybe we can tolerate authority. But trust is a, a, a whole different ballgame. Am I right? And, and so this is where, as we get into this uh, with Jesus here, this is where, um, this is where, this is what we're going to deal with today. And, you know, as we talk about authority, when I say authority, what I mean is um, anyone or someone or a person or thing, maybe it's a tradition, it's a teaching, it's an influential voice that has some kind of influence over us. That's what an authority is typically that impacts us negatively or positively in some way, right? So, I, and so, um, you know, in the last 50 to 60 years, I would say that in our culture, there's been a massive shift in how we understand and experience structures of authority. I think about my parents and I think about my grandparents especially, um, that respect and trust and authority, I think was just assumed, it tended to be commonplace, right? There wasn't a deep tension between maybe what an authority said and then how they felt about it. And yet, in the, the more recent generations, you know, Generation X, which is my generation, um, with, with the millennial generation, there's this growing suspicion of any kind of an authority structure, right? Or an influential voice. I think we see that today. We see it especially in pop culture. <clears throat> um, Disney, in recent years, if you've noticed, it seems like in many of their movies, there is a uh, distrust in authority. And so, so um, oftentimes you'll see the protagonist, the main character, the hero, who breaks from tradition, breaks from the past, or breaks from their parents or some kind of an authority to go off on their own and discover who they really are and kind of make themselves of who they are, right? And be the hero in that way. You think of Harry Potter. At least in the first few books, in the first few movies, Harry and his friends don't trust the authority structures that have been put over them and the authority figures. Harry grew up with a horrible family, a very dysfunctional family. Uh, his parent, obviously, his parents are gone, so he has to he has to be raised by his um, relatives or his in-laws, and and has a horrible time there. And then he gets to Hogwarts, the school, and it seems like the teachers and the instructors and the authorities there are inept. Uh, some of them are unethical, and they're intentionally viewed that way. And so Harry and his friends have to overcome their problems on their own. They become their own authority, right? So you see this often um, in pop culture. And so the, um, in the media, I think there's a general critique of authority figures that leads to a widespread distrust of authority. Now, I believe 
in submitting to authority. I believe in respect for authority and in developing trust for authority. That's how I became a Christian, right? That's how many of us became Christians. We have to learn to submit to the authority of this book and as this book talks about the one true God in Christ. And yet, at the same time, I can empathize a little bit with the critique that we see going on in culture when it comes to authority. Because often we see these influential voices, and yet uh, behind the scenes it comes out that there's moral failure. Uh, There is an an abuse of power. And unfortunately, we've seen that among Christian leaders and pastors. There's ego, there's pride, many of them operating out of those kinds of... um, those kinds of negative attitudes and values, and it often creates unsettling perspectives for us, right? But here's the thing. We can't just discard authority, obviously. We can't just throw it away and live in a place of distrust that's greatly unhealthy because, because where then do you go? Who do you turn to? Where do you go for truth or anything certain? Living with constant suspicion and doubt and distrust is unhealthy and it can lead to a very dark place. So I want to help us see Jesus' authority in its proper light this morning as we look at this passage and hopefully foster a deeper trust in him. Okay, And I'm guessing that that many of us in this room maybe don't have deep, maybe really any super deep concerns or problems with Jesus' authority and submitting to that. And yet, if we're going to be honest, there's aspects of our lives that we're not fully submitted to him, right? So Jesus gives authoritative teaching about money and about finances. And he gives authoritative teaching about sexuality and about relationships and about how we navigate those and how we interact with those. And yet, we're not submitted to those. Um, We're not fully living those out. So there's an aspect of trust because it always begins with trust and then obedience. Maybe there's some of us in this room even that... um, uh, have questions, and maybe we're, in, we're, we're struggling with some doubts, and we have some obstacles that uh, are challenges for us when it comes to the faith, when it comes to Christianity, and perhaps, perhaps we need help to overcome those, and so I hope that this morning as we look at Jesus' authority, uh, that, that this will be an opportunity for you to also um, engage with this and um, um, understand some things about it and see it in its proper light. So, how do we know we can trust Jesus' authority? Three reasons. Because of what he says about himself, because of what others say about him, and because of what he says about you. Okay? Three things. Because of what he says about himself, because of what others say about him, and because of what he says about you. So, first, in author- with authority in John 8 here in this passage, It mainly comes out of verse 28 here when Jesus says, So Jesus said to him, When you have um, lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Now, literally, there's no Greek word there for authority. What he's saying is an idiom. He means he's saying, I do nothing on my own, or I speak nothing on my own. Um, but that, that basically means that he's not doing it on his own authority. So we're, we're talking about Jesus' authority here. The Greek word that John uses elsewhere in his gospel for authority is the Greek word exousia, which just basically means the right or the capability to execute decisions and actions. And then with Jesus, it's actually supernatural power as well. 
exousia with the Greek word there, okay? So I just wanted to offer that up front as we're talking about this, that it, in many ways it's talking about authority, even though literally in the Greek it means he, Jesus is saying, I do nothing on my own, okay? Because he says that it's found elsewhere multiple times in John connected to Jesus and his authority. So the first reason, because of what he says about himself, Jesus has a personal history. Look with me in, in verse 14 here. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I came from. <clears throat> Actually, let me back up a little bit there. I'm sorry. In verse 13, the Pharisees said to him, after Jesus talks about being the light of the world, they, they say to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I came from. And where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where or where I'm going. First of all, I think we can put ourselves in the shoes of the Pharisees here a little bit. If someone comes to us and starts making these bold and audacious claims about who they are, especially if it's putting themselves up on a platform and saying, Hey, look, I'm an authority. Listen to me. Okay, we're gonna have we're gonna have some questions. Like I'm just not gonna take you at face value. Uh, I'm 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 initially gonna be a little suspicious, right? And I want to find out a little bit more about you before I decide if you're going to be an authority over me or have some kind of influence over me. Well, it's the same here with Jesus. When he says, if, even if I do bear witness myself, which he could, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. My testimony is true, for I know where I came from, where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from, where I'm going. What's interesting here is that family of origin was extremely important to a first century Jew, Okay. As it is, I would say, for us today in some ways. Everyone came from a tribe back then. Everyone had a genealogy that they could trace back pretty far, right? For the Jews, it goes all the way back to Abraham and even further. That's why um, Matthew and Luke begin their Gospels with genealogies that lead to Jesus. So they can say that, like, look, this guy has a real history. He came from this line, specifically the line of David which is a royal line. So it's a, it's a kingly line, okay? Um, <clears throat> he has a, so um, everyone came from a tribe, and they questioned, and yet they questioned Jesus' lineage from King David because apparently all they know is that Jesus came from the region of Galilee, specifically the town of Nazareth. But actually, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? Which is a royal, uh, it's, the, it's the town, it's, in, it's part of the lineage of David, um, Micah prophesied that, and, and it's very clear in Scripture that that's where Jesus comes from, and that's in Joseph and Mary, and Joseph is in the line of David. But apparently the, the, the Pharisees here and the Jews, for some reason, didn't know that. They questioned that or whatever is going on there. Um, it, you know, if you go back in chapter 7 here with Nicodemus, it says that Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, John 3, and was one of them, said to them, he's saying to the Pharisees, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So they, for some reason, they didn't have all the facts about Jesus and where he came from and his line, his human ancestry in that sense. So where did Jesus come from? Well, as I mentioned, he has a royal line. He comes from the tribe of Judah the line of David. He has a real, authentic, legitimately recorded history that the New Testament writers who themselves were eyewitnesses and that other eyewitnesses that they relied on, other sources, told 
them so that they could write accurate history here. And not only that, then we have other historians like Josephus, who was a Jewish historian who wasn't a follower of Jesus, the Messiah, but also, no, he legitimates the actual history and the line of Jesus as well in his writings. So Jesus has this human ancestry with his royal lineage with David, and then he also has a supernatural eternal ancestry existing for all eternity, the Son of God, one of the persons of the triune God, the Trinity. And that's what John gets at in John chapter 1. Now, there's a lot here. But what I want you to see is because of who Jesus, because of what Jesus says about himself, that he has a personal history, he has a life narrative, he has a family line, that he's trustworthy in that sense. Even though, for whatever reason, the religious leaders and the Jews don't get that, or they question that, or they don't know that, that is what is true about Jesus. Now, there may be seasons where some of us struggle in trusting Jesus as a real, authentic, living person today who is sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, who actually exists, who is resurrected, who is full-bodied, the God-man, fully God, fully man at the same time, and will one day return to restore all things. Okay. Sometimes we have days, sometimes we have moments, sometimes we have seasons where we just forget that. Um, we, we're not trusting him as a real, actual, living person who has a history. My encouragement for us is to just to go back to his history, right? Go back to the facts. Go back to who Jesus is and his royal lineage. Uh, go back to his personal story, his history. It comes from somewhere, right? Validated by eyewitnesses, some of whom are here, um, talked about in Scripture, some of whom who wrote Scripture, um, others who wrote history. Okay, it's important. So, how do we know we can trust Jesus' authority? Because of what he says about himself, that he has a personal history. Second, because of what others say about him, Jesus has multiple witnesses. Look at what he says here in verses 17 and 18. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So, Jesus understands that he gets it, he empathizes a little bit, that an individual coming and claiming some pretty massive things that have huge implications about themselves is probably going to be open to critique and questioning, may lead to a little bit of doubt. So what does he do? He provides other witnesses, or what I might also call sources. So in our culture, we have sources, we have uh, Google reviews, um, <clears throat> And uh, we don't necessarily call them witnesses, but it's important to have good sources. As a parent of teenagers, it's really fun because when my kids hear something at school, or they hear something in the media, or they see something or read something in the media, and they bring me, they bring my wife and I some new information <laughs> or opinion about the world, the first question I always ask him is, okay, where did you get that from? Who is your source? 
because it all depends on the source. Like, yes, I'm interested in what you think and in what you heard, but I'm really curious about, like, where you heard that from. Because for me, it's all important. Uh, for, for me, it's who is your source. In fact, if anyone brings me some new idea or some new theology or some new perspective on God or the Bible or Christianity, and I know in the back of my mind that in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, it says there's really nothing new under the sun. And they bring me this new thing. The first thing I'm always thinking, and then I'm going to ask them, hey, where did you read that? Was it a book? Was it an article? Was it a blog? <laughs> Was it a YouTube video? <laughs> where did you get this? I'm curious. Let's talk about that. And how many sources? Is it just one source? Is it just one person claiming these things? Or is it multiple people? Is there multiple witnesses to this fact, to this, your, this fact or this truth or this opinion? What's interesting is I'm trying to follow what God did in the Garden of Eden. Because right after the first sin, the original sin of the first humans in the world, uh, the second question, first he asked him, where are you? And then they say, well, we were hiding from you in the trees because we were naked. And what does he ask him? Who told you that you were naked? Where did you get this information? Where did you get this new data? Where did you get this perspective? Who told you that? God questions their source. Okay? So the point here is, is that your trust in any authority depends on the strength of your source. Who are Jesus' witnesses and sources? His main one is God the Father. And how does God witness to Jesus? Pretty much all of this right here, okay? The Old Testament and obviously into the New Testament as well. But for the Jews and for Jesus, it's the Old Testament because in their time, the New Testament hasn't been written yet, okay? So Jesus is saying, I have God the Father as my source, as you hopefully have been reading about me in your scripture, in the Old Testament. I also have the signs, which are the miracles that I've been doing to show who I am, to show that the coming of the kingdom is being manifest among you, that God is doing a new thing, that he's restoring people, that he's, gonna, he's about restoring this world back to what he always desired it to be. So I have God the Father through Scripture. I have the signs and the miracles that I've been doing. I also have that weird guy in the desert. His name is John the Baptizer. <laughs> He's been witnessing to me, right? So Jesus has some pretty strong witnesses, authorities. And it's, it's interesting because as they question him, it's like Jesus is saying, okay, you've seen the stuff that I've been doing. You've seen the teaching that I have that it's, that it's authoritative. I'm not really sure why you don't just take my word for it or look at the miracles I've been doing that validate my claims. But anyway, I have it on really good authority <laughs> that God the Father, the supernatural, all-powerful, all-loving, holy, triune God that you believe, you claim to trust in, who created this whole universe, he has given true statements about me. So trust me when I say that he's a legit source that he's a legit witness who has a great track record of success when it comes to giving true statements. Okay? Here's the implication for us here. The Bible is our primary source for Jesus. So 
you're, if you're struggling to trust Jesus, if you're struggling in your trust and in, in your faith in order to live in greater obedience, this is your primary source right here. Your favorite preacher or theologian is not your primary source. They may be a good source, but they're not your primary source. God's revelation in this story, this entire story, is your greatest and strongest source and witness to Jesus. And actually, the more that you read this, the more you see Jesus come alive for you. I know there's lots of great sources out there for proclaiming and teaching about Jesus, and yet here we have the very words of God. My friends, don't ever discount this. My friends, please, if you have seasons in your life where like, this thing is boring, uh, I've already heard a lot of this before, please don't let yourself sin that. Okay? This is, this is your source for understanding what is going on in the world, for understanding who you are, for understanding the past, and understanding the present and the future. This is, this, this, is, this is your best source right here, your witness. God the Father validating Jesus and his authority. Okay, How do we know we can trust Jesus' authority? Because of what he says about himself, because of what others say about him, and then finally, because of what he says about you. You will experience personal transformation. Verse 12. I'm going to go backwards here a second. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And over in verse 24, he says, actually in verse 23, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, there's two ways that John talks about transformation, often in his gospel, and we see them come out here. Two ways, and both are powerful. The first way is that John says you will experience a transition from darkness to light. Now, often in the New Testament, and especially in John, John loves to talk about darkness and light. What he means by darkness is a metaphor. He doesn't mean literally that you're in physical darkness. Okay, that would make no sense. Obviously, we have the sun, we have light. What he means is that you're in spiritual darkness. Okay? Oftentimes, he is going to juxtapose or contrast darkness and light, and he'll also contrast sight, or excuse me, blindness and sight. So darkness is often equated with blindness, because this, that's just what happens when you're dark, right? Pitch black, you can't see your hand in front of your face, you're blind, you can't see anything. Light, you can see. So darkness versus light, blindness versus sight, okay? If you're walking in darkness and you're blind, you're, you, you don't know where you're going or uh, able to understand the truth or see who God is. Light, being equated with sight, is understanding the truth of Jesus, who he is, walking in the path toward him, and beginning to see him for who he really is. Do you see that? Why would someone be in darkness? Or how do they get in darkness? 
Well, oftentimes the main reason that Jesus points to is because of spiritual pride, which is a really deep, extreme form of pride. It basically means I don't need to hear truth. I don't need to understand the truth. I don't need the truth. Not because, not so much because I don't want it, but because I think I already have it. <laughs> That's the sticking point with many of the Pharisees and the Jews. I don't want to hear your truth, Jesus, because I already have truth. I already have what I think is right for my life, for my belief, whatever. And Jesus said, you're blind. You're in darkness. Because how does someone get into the light? Humility. Acknowledging and admitting and realizing, I actually don't have the truth. I actually don't know what the truth is. Please tell me the truth. Please help me to see what I need to see, even if, I, even if deep down I don't really want to see it. But I know that I need it. Okay? That's walking in the light. First John talks about that as well. That's a whole other sermon. I'd love to get into it sometime with confession and repentance. So darkness is blindness to the truth because you believe somehow that you already have it. Light and walking in the light is actually seeing the truth, having the scales fall off your eyes, having your eyes opened to see the truth, to see Jesus for who he really is. Here's the thing. Christianity is not something that you just take on, that you just somehow decide to take up for yourself as a commodity like religion. Okay, Anybody can take up a religion or invent their own. Christianity first comes to you. It first happens to you and inside you. Okay, And you decide if you're going to accept it or not. That's Christianity. That's light. If you're in a dark place, if you're in a darkened room, if you're in a dark cave, okay, when you're, let me put it this way, when you go to bed at night and you're asleep and it's dark at night, light comes to you. You don't wake up looking for light. The light from the sun comes to you every day. That's Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world that comes and pierces and overcomes the darkness. It comes and it infiltrates into the darkness and it comes to you to open your eyes to see Jesus, to see the truth for what it really is so that you can see yourself for who you really are. If you're ever in a place where, yeah, I've heard all this before, I've heard, I've heard this stuff, I've heard the gospel so many times, and I've heard about God so many times, you might be in darkness. Because you're not giving the light an opportunity to show you for who you really are, to help you see God for who he really is. Or if you're in a place of like, well, I don't really need to hear this as much as other people I know, compared to. You might be in darkness. You might be creeping into darkness. My friends, if that's, if that's any of us, repent of that pride. Repent of it. Ask God for his grace to help you be humble so that you might see light. You might walk in the light 
so that you might see truth for what it really is and how much you need it. Okay. Another way, the second way that you will experience transformation is a transfer is a transformation from death to life. So just as you will experience a transition from darkness to light, you will also experience a dynamic transformation from death to life. So not only will the eyes of your heart be open to the truth, to who Jesus really is, but you, your whole life, your body, your soul, will be resurrected to new life and be transformed. Look at what Jesus says in verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Right? So what he's saying there behind that is that the, the goal then for the gospel is that you won't uh, die in your sins. That, you'll, that through atonement and forgiveness, you'll be resurrected to new life. That's the goal. The goal is new life. The goal is God recreating you from the inside out. And, be, and by the way, that resurrecting power, that resurrecting experience happens now from the inside out. He's giving you a new heart and a new spirit. He's making you to be a new person. And one day you're going to have a full resurrected life. Okay? So what Jesus is saying is, I'm here to transform you. I'm here to resurrect you. I'm here to bring you from darkness to light, from death to life. Those things are always connected uh, throughout John's gospel. Okay? Christianity is a project of resurrection. It's a project of new life. Christianity is uh, not a religion. It is not just something where you come and you get some forgiveness and then you go about your merry way. No, God is actually in the business of making you new making you to how he always intended you to be and ultimately to live forever with him. Really want you to see that, okay? How important resurrection is here to Jesus. And oftentimes as we've been going through this series, you'll see Jesus talking about raising people up on the last day, right? That's resurrection. So Jesus, in his authority, desires to make you new. And, he's, and, and he says that unless you believe, unless you listen to the conviction of the Spirit and you trust the gospel, you're going to die in your sins. You won't be transformed. You won't be resurrected. You won't be made new. You won't experience relationship with me. You will die. You will die in your broken, sinful self. Unchanged undeveloped, not transformed. My desire is to change you. I'm coming to you. The light has come to you. Will you believe? Will you trust? Maybe there's some of us who um, maybe just coasted through this sermon a little bit, you know, and you're like, look, Derek, um, I don't really have any trust issues with Jesus' authority. I mean, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here on a Sunday morning. Um, just let's be honest, though, right? None of us is perfect. None of us is truly following and trusting Jesus and following him in every aspect of our life. 
at the end of the day, um, it's a trust issue. Right now, I'm uh, as a parent, as a dad of teenagers, I have struggles. Um, I tend to be a controller. I get e easily irritated and angry at uh, pushback that I get from my kids. And yet Paul says in Ephesians 6, fathers, do not exasperate your kids. Don't exasperate your children. Don't provoke them to anger. And often my anger provokes them to anger. Um, that's a trust issue for me. That's a, that's a trust, that's an authority issue. Submitting to Jesus' authority in that. Maybe there's some of us who maybe even struggle with the whole idea of submitting to an authority, right? I don't know if you've heard lately, but submission tends to be a trigger word <laughs> in our culture. It's like those are the two words right now, submission and authority, and don't put those two together, right? Um, nobody likes talking about that right now. And yet trusting, obviously trusting Jesus' authority implies Submission. And granted, maybe there's some of us that have, have had horrible experiences with an authority figure. I, I get that, right? Uh, that, that unfortunately happens. And because of that, maybe it's been multiple experiences with abusive authority. And so we tend to hold any kind of authority at arm's length until they demonstrate that they can be trusted but until then, they're guilty until proven otherwise, right? It's deep. That's, that's huge. And um, <clears throat> I'm, I don't want to sit here and assume that, that, that we can just uh, dismiss that. So where are we going to get the strength? Like, where are we going to get the motivation to trust? Where are we going to get the motivation to listen to Jesus' authority and submit to him? Final point, Jesus lays down his authority. How do we know that we can trust his authority? Jesus gives up his authority and submits to the authority of God the Father, even unto death. Look at what he says here in verses 28, 29. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. When he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. This is deeply ironic here, what John's doing. Because Jesus, as the Messiah, as the true and rightful king of the world, he deserves to be lifted up on a throne. Like typically when kings are lifted up in glory and honor, they're placed high above people. They're placed in a position of power, popularity, authority. Jesus deserves to be lifted up to his throne so that all may honor him. He, deserved to, he deserves to be lifted up in glory as the true, rightful king of the whole earth. He deserves to...
to be lifted up to the ultimate seat of authority. And yet, instead, what was he lifted up to? A cross. Right? The king of the world, the savior of the world. Instead, he is lifted up on a cross, on a wooden post to be crucified. He was lifted up not to a place of honor, but to a place of humiliation. He was lifted up not to a place of glory, but to utter embarrassment. He was lifted up not to a seat of authority, but to sheer sacrifice. Just as Paul says in Philippians, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Jesus gives up his own right to his authority. He submits to the authority of God the Father, and instead of being lifted up to a place of glory and honor and power, he is lifted up to death. Why? For you. For us. He laid down his authority so that we could be lifted up, so that we could see light, so that we could be transformed because of his love and his grace and his mercy and his compassion. When you see that, when you begin to see Jesus, the king of the world crucified for you, the Holy Spirit will do something in your heart. And the Holy Spirit will convict you. And the Holy Spirit might even just humble you, help you to be humble. To see Jesus, help you to be humble to listen to him and his authority. Help you to be humble to live in obedience to him. To love your neighbors. To submit to him. Give you the strength to be able to submit and trust. My friends, I hope that for us today, look to the gospel, look to Jesus and what he's done. Okay. Let's pray. And I'll have the worship team come up. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you that though some of these words might be hard and difficult, yet they are true and they are real. Thank you that Jesus is present with us by his spirit. Thank you that he is living today and that he will one day return. Thank you that he is actively working in and through us. We need every ounce of his grace. We need to be reminded of his love. We need to see the gospel more and more. We need to see him for who he really is. Give us the grace to see that. Give us the grace to believe that and to trust in him, we pray. In your name, amen. Amen. Um, as we pass communion here in a moment, uh, take it. We'll take it together. Um, I uh, I kept thinking about um, the thing that I had prepared, but but what I want to read to us is something really interesting. As we pass communion, there's a symbol here. Um, we are. Obviously not passing the physical body 
of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. But in a way, this is us continuing to share in that with each other as we pass it. Um, the passing of authority, the passing, the passing of someone like Jesus, the giving of Jesus is instituted by Jesus himself. It says this in the Great Commission. This is uh, Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, I believe the age has not fully ended. He is here with us and we will be with him in heaven. That's our home. A quick perspective. Jesus was not of the world. And when Jesus has come and made a dwelling of you, you aren't either. If you feel as if this is not your home fully, that's because it's not. That when Jesus has made a home of you and he lives with you, the thing that you carry with you is this newness that Derek was speaking of, this transformation, this hunger to see things transformed to look more like the light and not the darkness. And taking communion reminds us of how that works collectively. Because this is the basis of that transformation, that the old has gone and the new has come. Resurrection highlights the new. And when Jesus died, he set a new motion, a new thing. And that thing currently has a trajectory inside of each one of us. And that thing is that the Spirit of God will move. No matter what your sight on earth says, God will not be stopped. And you must believe that his authority, while many challengers may come, will never be overthrown. It is set. And communion reminds us that when we can't see how something can be accomplished, God intercedes in a way that demands our attention and sets history in a new trajectory. So today, as you take communion, be reminded that you are part of a forever family headed by the one who can't be stopped. As you take communion today, be reminded that you have given yourself as a response to him giving himself, that the body and blood of Jesus represents to you not only your own death, but the death of all that you couldn't bring about and the death of all that the world seemed lost to, including your own salvation. Jesus has done some things far more personal for us than we could have ever asked him to do. And in so doing, he set a different trajectory for you and I. So today, wherever you sit, however you are, this is a declaration 
that moving forward, you are saying, I will follow Jesus. I will walk in the trajectory that Jesus has set. I will move the direction he wants me to. Wherever you've been, wherever you've come in from, you declare again through communion, I will do and I will set the trajectory that Jesus has set for me in myself. I will move. I will go. I will be. I will learn. This is a declaration of your death and Jesus' life in you. Do so with that as a weight, but also as a sense of freedom. Because you are not your own, and you've been bought with a price. And that price was Jesus' body and blood, paid and poured out, so that we might be with him forever. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the, the bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he declared that he is the new covenant. This covenant between God and man. Something that is binding because of the authority behind it. Jesus says that often as we take this cup, we do this in remembrance of him. Lord, we stand resolved. I pray that my brothers and sisters would not feel weak. But I pray instead that you would strengthen bones that seem weak. Let those who are walking in sin, Lord, I pray they would immediately now recognize that that's not the trajectory. Because we have a purpose. And we have a vision. And that is that you would be exalted, Jesus that your name worshiped in every corner of this world. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to burn inside of us this sense of longing to see your name worshiped more because we know who you are. And, Lord, on the last day when you come back, we know that you will not come back as a suffering servant, but as a reigning king. And so we trust you with everything. We are yours forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him and that you may continue to love God 